Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for First St. Charles United Methodist Church in downtown St. Charles, Missouri. We are so glad that you're here, and it's our prayer that you feel safe, welcome, and wanted in this space. If you're interested in finding out more about us or supporting our ministries, you can connect with us online at firststcharlesumc.org. Today's scripture comes from the book of Acts, chapter 15. After they finished speaking, James replied, My brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the dwelling of David, which has fallen from its ruins. I will rebuild it and I will set it up so that all other people may see the Lord. Even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord, who has been making these things known from long ago. Therefore, I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from whatever has been strangled from his blood. This is the word of life, threatening us with resurrection. We can thank the world of social media for creating them and naming them. Influencers. People whose one singular posting or tweet can sway millions. And there are millions of dollars to be made by such people on Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, YouTube, Twitter, and something called Twitch. I admit then when we were looking to hire two of our last four staff members, I looked to see how many followers they had. Are they someone who has the ability to influence others, to draw others, to sway others? No surprise that our director of marketing and outreach wins that one with 3,240 followers, to be exact. It's what another generation knew as E.F. Hutton's. They were persons who influenced the investment community specifically, but more broadly it became a metaphor for anyone whose impact extended far and wide. Some of you will remember this commercial. All right, children, who's going to be the first one to recite the alphabet? How about you, Anne? A... B, C, D, E, F, E, F, E, F, Hutton. When E, F, Hutton talks, people listen. Evidently, the kids are looking for a way to invest their tooth fairy money. Now, thanks once again to marketers, we have the term Micro-influencers. The name means what you think it means. Someone with small influence, whose little influence can make all the difference in the world. In the world of biblical studies, we often make a class distinction between major prophets like Elijah and Isaiah and minor prophets like Obadiah and Zephaniah. I once heard a sermon that urged us to all be minor prophets. The premise being that 
most of us won't get the chance to make a major impact on the history of the world, but we all have the opportunity to speak our little word, to place our unique thumbprint on the scales of justice and to make a difference. By the same token, few of us can make the coveted marketing moniker of an influencer. We can, however, be micro-influencers. Today we continue our series with someone whose one singular moment of influence changed the course of Christianity and, consequently, the world. It was he who was Christianity's David to the Goliath of reforming change. His name was James. The name James was a common name then as it is now. It's a derivation of the Hebrew Yaakov, Jacob. If you know any Jameses or Jims or Jimmies, feel free to call them Jacob. His mother did. But the problem for the poor kid was all the other Jameses in his class at school. In the New Testament alone, there are at least five. There's James, the father of Jude, and James, the brother of Jude. There is James, the son of Alphaeus, one of the twelve disciples of Jesus. And there is the other disciple, James, the son of Zebedee, brother of John the Apostle. Together with his brother John and Simon Peter, he was a part of the inner circle of Jesus. To distinguish him, history has called him James the Great. But that's not our James, not the James of our story. And I would argue that while the other James may have been great, the micro-influence of our James was greater in the scheme of things. Our James, history has called James the Lesser. How'd you like to go through life being known as the Lesser? Think you'd have a complex? Hi, I'm Bart, the Lesser. Or can I introduce you to my friend Sandy, the Lesser? It's discounting. And some of you know what it is to be placed in a class diminished in the process. This is my little sister. This is my younger brother. He's the nerd. Maybe it's gender. If you've ever been discounted by your gender, can you feel the pain of James the Lesser? Maybe it's because you're a person of color or because of your sexual orientation and identity or your economy. I'm the poor one in the family. In St. Louis, don't we flex our parochial pride as a way of saying we're better than I went to St. Charles High, not, and chances are it's somewhere across the river. Can you feel the pain of James the Lesser? To make matters worse, history suggests that he had a much more famous brother. Uh, that would be Jesus. How'd you like to grow up in his shadow? Or as the light of the world didn't even cast the shadow. 
Did Mary say, James, why can't you be more like Jesus? Only to have him reply, Jeez, Mom, for God's sake, stop comparing me. James, the lesser. Don't you feel for the poor guy? And for the former Catholics worshiping with us, James isn't even included on the same family branch as Jesus. It's because, after all, if Mary remained a perpetual virgin, how could she have had any other children? So our Catholic friends will call him a cousin. I guess that's sort of like telling your younger sibling that they were really adopted. It's no wonder that history records that James wasn't a believer, wasn't a disciple during Jesus' life. And yet, the Apostle Paul would call him, along with Peter and John, one of the pillars of the church. Galatians 2.9 I love that in the listing, he edges out John's brother, James, the so-called greater. Score one for the little guy. He would go on to become the bishop of Jerusalem. Again, despite what our Roman Catholic friends will tell you, Jerusalem, not Rome, was the headquarters of the early church, and James was its first bishop. And he, sure as all get out, didn't get the job because of nepotism. No keys were given him. What was given him was an experience of the risen Christ. Again, this is something we learn from Paul in his first epistle to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 7. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then the twelve. Then He appeared to more than five hundred brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James. It was an experience of new life that transformed James from a non-believer to a disciple, from a biological brother to a brother in faith. It was new life, the same new life that we claim this side of Easter. If we've known the power of the resurrected Christ and the new life He brings, then maybe we all could wear the lesser monikers placed on us like a badge of pride. And maybe we can leverage all the discounting times to make them count for someone else. That's what James did. The story is told in our scripture today. It's that moment when all the bigwigs of the church were all called to settle a brouhaha in the church. Who belongs in and how? We talked about that last week. On the vanguard of the struggle was that radical Paul who was letting in those people by those people 
we mean Gentiles, the uncircumcised, the unclean, the pork eaters. Several years ago, in another day and age when security was less an issue for churches, I served a place that, like almost every church I ever served, had a problem with unauthorized people getting keys to the church. We can't just be letting everyone get in this church, they said. So the trustees spent hundreds of dollars changing all the locks on the church, every single door, so that only authorized persons could get in. Metaphorically speaking, the church has always had its trustees concerned with who is in and who is out, who is not authorized to get in, the gatekeepers. As it turned out, within one week of changing all the locks and spending hundreds of dollars, one of the insiders spent $50 and had dozens of keys made and distributed because who do they think they are saying who can get in? And for my part, I ended up marrying that radical insider. Paul was letting those people in. Then, with all the assembled church, Peter weighs in saying he was convinced that God shows no partiality and that we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Again, that was last week's sermon. The final say goes to our friend James. Therefore, he says, I've reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God. The original sense is closer to opinion. He wasn't deciding for them. He wasn't telling them in a top-down, what-they-must-believe kind of way. He was sharing with them his perspective, the place to which he had come. This is where I'm at. This is my opinion. And he's showing empathy. If ever there was a quality of leadership needed then and now, it's the ability to show empathy. As someone has rightly said, if you profess to be a follower of Jesus, I'm not interested in the scriptures you can recite, the prayers you can utter out loud, or your grand displays of piety. Show me a working theology of empathy. Show me a working theology of empathy. Show me you actually give a about people. Did all the discounting times, the times he was told that he was just Jesus' younger brother, that he was just James the lesser, prepare his heart for this great moment? I'd like to think so. And I'd like to think that all the times we have known the discounting and the dismissals that go with it, God can use it all to make a difference through us. Because we now actually do give a, about people. 
maybe so then, you might not be surprised that James had one other name by which history remembers him. James the Just, or James the Righteous. Isn't it by placing our hearts on the side of the outsiders, those excluded, that we become righteous too?